to make extremely difficult and soul-searching decisions. We talking about practice. Welcome to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Dave Murphy, uh, columnist for the Philadelphia Daily News, joined by Mike Sealski, Inquire columnist, APSC award-winning Inquire columnist, and whatever, and the Stan Hockman award-winning columnist. Congratulations, Mike. Thank you. That's nice of you to say, Murph. Um, I, will take, I will take as my reward not having to go to the banquet. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, but not really. It's a long night. It is a very long night. All right, anyway, we're going to get right into it because yesterday was a very big day in the trajectory as Jeffrey Lurie likes to say of the Philadelphia Eagles franchise we're going to talk about Sam Bradford is number one that was one of one of my big uh, takeaways Jim Schwartz number two another one of my big takeaways the personnel guy huge takeaway yeah. the, the the in my opinion biggest issue and four I'm sure we'll think of something else we will um yeah Sam Bradford uh, am I correct in my interpretation of the remarks that when I sat there and because this was one thing that I was looking for as I sat down on that auditorium. What will they say? How will they say it when they are asked about Sam Bradford, the quarterback? And they said it as, in as strong a terms as I could have uh, anticipated without sacrificing any leverage, knowing that they're going to be heading into a contract negotiation with Tom Condon, who has a reputation for, shall we say, lack of sentimentality when it comes <laughs> to these matters. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I thought. I mean, like you, that was the thing I was most curious about was how are they going to handle this? Um, you know, everybody draws that connection between Peterson and Andy Reid, you know, mentor, mentee, the whole thing. And of course, everybody remembers that Andy Reid started fresh at the quarterback position when he became the Eagles head coach, drafts Donovan McNabb, nurtures him along for 10 years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Peterson is in a completely different situation. Um, not only because uh, he's got a quarterback here already who was relatively productive for his predecessor, Chip Kelly. Um, you know, Reed came into a situation where the position was galactically bad. You know, you had Bobby Hoying and Coy Detmer and Rodney Pete. Anybody you brought in or drafted was likely to be better than, than the guys you had. That's not necessarily the situation here uh, with Bradford. And the other thing, of course, is that Jeffrey Lurie, in both announcing Kelly's firing and announcing Peterson's hiring, made it clear that he regards this roster as being ready to win right now. Whether that's actually true or not does not matter. What matters is that appears to be how the Eagles view it. So therefore, you better have a quarterback who's ready to win right now. And yes, I felt like yesterday they came as close to saying, we want Sam Bradford back and we will do what we need to do to get Sam Bradford back as they possibly could without saying that. Now, the counter argument to that would be somebody who says, well, Sam Bradford is not that good. And therefore, they should not commit to him and sign away their life as, right. it, as it has been portrayed. And I, I disagree with the foundational premise of that argument, which is that committing to Sam Bradford is actually a commitment, a marriage, something that is irrevocable, right. inextractable, inextricable. Which one? I don't know what the intractable. Correct, intractable. That's the word I was looking for. Ale First of all, the notion that this is not baseball. There's a salary cap. There's kind of an order to contract negotiations. Free agency generally plays out and before it even starts, actually. Um, you know, the first day of free agency, everybody signs, it seems like. There's there's a pretty good there's a pretty good there's pretty good evidence that the contract he's going to sign is gonna be something in the neighborhood of what Alex Smith and Jay Cutler signed, which is forty five million dollars guaranteed. Right. Essentially a, a, a only a, what is it, attractable? Track intractable only intractable for three years you are only committing yourself to having Sam Bradford on your roster for three years if by some chance you stumble into a quarterback who is this Tom Brady Andrew Luck type right. future franchise guy that everybody seems to think is the other option besides Sam Bradford if, if you actually do end up finding him within those three years you can part ways with Sam Bradford in the fourth year for, you know, a $7 million cap hit and, and you know, be gone with it. The flip side of that, too, is that Bradford is 28 years old, okay? Look at— Two years younger than Chase Daniel. Right. Look at the quarterbacks who are left now in the NFL's Final Four. Now, I grant you Tom Brady and Peyton Manning are all-timers, okay? No question about that. 
But Peyton Manning's 39. Tom Brady is 38, I believe. In the NFC, you have Cam Newton, obviously, you know, in his early to mid-20s. Carson Palmer's 37. And I would argue that Sam Bradford has the sort of skill set where if he remains healthy, he can be a guy who is productive as a quarterback into his early to mid-30s, much like Palmer is. I'm not suggesting that he's as good as Carson Palmer. I'm suggesting that he can be productive in the same way that Palmer is productive now. Right. But that's two. I mean, we're talking about two. That's that's the second contract. Right. Right. But my point I'm just is addressing. I'm just I, yeah. I am just addressing the one you're saying I, you're saying they can to, have an out with Bradford if they want it. All I'm doing is trying to negate the one argument right. people keep on leaning on, which is that you can't Sam Bradford is not good enough to commit. You know, he's not a franchise quarterback. Well, it doesn't matter. Right, he's what you got, and he and that's the exact same position that Doug Peterson, and Andy Reid, and the Chiefs were in when they got to Kansas City. Alex Smith. It's the same reason why people were were the people who who think that Chip Kelly just made an outlandish concession to the Rams and including a second round pick for Bradford just weren't paying attention to market realities. Alex Smith, whose numbers are pretty much mirror Sam Bradford's at the mirrored Sam Bradford's at the time. Mm-hmm. Kansas City acquired him from the 49ers, a guy who had just gotten benched for Colin Kaepernick despite spectacular numbers yeah, um, from an NFC Championship team. Yeah, 70% he, of his pass. He got, he got two second-round picks from the Chiefs. That's what the market said he is worth. Sam Bradford is an Alex Smith-type quarterback. Right. Um, and if you look, Kansas City has not had an opportunity... They they committed a lot of money to 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 you know Alex Smith. They committed San, you know whatever Sam forty five million essentially they committed to him, which is which is the going rate, which is what Cutler got, um, which is what Cam Newton got. And they have not if they had not if they had not done that if they had not signed the contract extension if Alex Smith was not the quarterback of the Chiefs, who would they have who not they have yet to stumble into that guy who would have it wasn't Aaron Murray. I don't think it's Chase Daniel. Right, and then and that's just it is. You got to take your guy. Right. Everybody looks at Bradford and says, he's not good enough. And that's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, is he good enough compared to the alternative? Exactly. What is the alternative if it's not Sam Bradford? And and the people who we have this discussion with, who shall remain nameless, but they're out there in the Philadelphia media, to me yet, have not offered an alternative. Now, I will say this, that in a perfect world, you know, you you can make an argument that the Eagles would be better off or any team would be better off with a less expensive, less good quarterback. Right. Because they would have more roster flexibility. It's it's the Russell Wilson theory of the Seahawks. That part of the reason that you got to draft that guy. Right. The part of the reason the Seahawks were great is because Russell Wilson cost them less than a million dollars a year on his rookie third round pick rookie contract. So therefore you can spend money on your secondary and your defense and and running backs and elsewhere. And that's great if you stumble into Russell Wilson in the third round. That's great if you draft Tom Brady in the sixth round. You know, the next Tom Brady, I should say. And you don't have to pay him what you would pay a Sam Bradford or or another established NFL quarterback. Tell me where you're going to find this guy. Two points. One, you're not on the free agent market. And and it's it's plain as day. The the franchises you are arguing, if you argue that the Eagles should not sign Sam Bradford, that they should let him walk away. Your argument is that they should take, that they should be the Houston Texans of 2015 or the New York Jets of 2015. The Houston Texans traded away Ryan Fitzpatrick, who they deemed not good enough, right? To the Jets, they will enter entered a season with Ryan Mallett, Brian Hoyer, and T.J. Yates as their quarterbacks. The Jets entered a season with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Geno Smith. As their quarterbacks, neither one of them scored a point in a playoff game. Um, that's your ceiling right there. If you go into a season with Mark Sanchez, right, and 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 the Jets started the whole train, the whole chain of events off by get, getting rid of Mark Sanchez, who now the you are arguing essentially that the Eagles should enter a season with simply because he will not cost as much money as Sam Bradford, which is an asinine argument. Yeah, it's look. There's no telling where this guy is going to come from. And so the question becomes, do you roll with the guy who you've seen already and who has produced at the NFL level, and you say to yourself, okay, take the final seven games of Sam Bradford's season, 
and the numbers that he put up, which were very impressive, take the totality of his season in which the Eagles are 7-6, and six, and if you want to go to the win-loss record thing, they're 7-6 and six in the games he starts and finishes. They are a winning team when he is their full-time quarterback. You can go with that and say, okay, there's something to build on with this guy. He, we did that with him with a coach who got fired, who clearly made some mistakes from a personnel standpoint and a schematic standpoint. And with Bradford having come off basically two lost seasons because of a knee injury, do we presume he is going to be better when we, if we bring him back? Or do we just start fresh? And I would argue that based on the way things, uh, the, the way, based on the way Laurie has articulated things for this franchise, they're not going to start fresh. And they really shouldn't. I mean, yeah, Sam Bradford's it would be 20. Dumb. He, Sam Bradford's 28. It would be a death wish. He's, he's not ancient. Your um, argument, a great way to get fired after two years as, a, as an NFL head coach is to uh, voluntarily enter your first season with Mark Sanchez, uh, some rookie, and I don't know, Chad Henney yeah. at, or, or Chase Daniel as your quarterback. It is what the Texans did this year, and, and they barely eked into the playoffs. It's, what's the, it's what the Jets did, and they played far better than anybody could have expected. But at the same time, you know, they saw the limitations of having Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. They saw why he is a journeyman quarterback. They saw why he was available. The fact of the matter is, any quarterback that you can get right now that is not currently in college is there for a reason. And it, it, that was Chip Kelly's argument for Sam Bradford last right. year. Is the only, you know, we we're not gonna we're not gonna no one's gonna let a guy who is obviously the guy hit the free agent market. Therefore, right. you have to take chances to find that guy. Let's address this notion that, you know, you mentioned the ages of these quarterbacks that are still alive in the playoffs. Eagles fans, ever since Don, Eagles fans ran Donna McNabb out of town, thinking that he he. he, he he had reached a plateau. There was a ceiling there he, that he wasn't the guy. He was not a, he wasn't a winner. He wasn't a Super right. Bowl quarterback. Since that time, we have run through Kevin Cobb, Michael Vick, Nick Foles, Mark Sanchez. I'm probably forgetting somebody. Now Sam Bradford. Forget about that. Forget about what you've actually seen with your own two eyes in front of your face. Look at the rest of the league. And, and, and consider who the guys were that you thought were better than Donovan McNabb, that you coveted, who, who they were back then. And they're the same guys they are now. Tom Brady. Yeah. Peyton Manning. But, you know. Look, look, at, it, look at the... These guys don't exist except <laughs> in four a generation spurts. The only guy to enter the league who has shown him... Since, since then, since, since, since you ran Donovan McNabb out of town, the only guy to enter the league who has been one of those guys is Andrew Luck. And I guess you could argue, you could argue maybe Cam Newton. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, you're looking at Sam Bradford's. Look, look at the AFC's Super Bowl participants since the Baltimore Ravens went in 2000. Okay, 2000, 2001. Brady. What is it? It's Brady. It's Rich Gannon. Okay. <laughs> Quite the There's your outlier. Leader. But and then, all right, here's your, here, here you go from there. It's Brady, Brady, Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning. Brady, yeah. Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Roethlisberger, Brady, Joe Flacco. You're like Rain Man. Uh, I could 2013 never, was... Uh, could never have done this. Was that Roethlisberger again? I'm, trying, I'm drawing a blank on 2013 the, was the year after the Ravens, which means it was the... Patriots and the Giants? No, it was the, uh, excuse me, it was Peyton Manning again. It was the Broncos and the Seahawks. Then Brady right. again. So literally for a 12 to 13 year span, with the exception of Joe Flacco, you've had three quarterbacks get to the Super Bowl from the AFC. Brady, Manning, Roethlisberger. So the idea- Where are these guys? Yeah, the idea that you're going to magically find somebody who is better than Sam Bradford, who's going to take you to this promised land, is not going to happen. It's just not. So and it's absurd. <laughs> so just drop, like, I mean, yeah, drop it. Yeah. Now, okay. Come up with a better argument against Sam Bradford. That's right. all I ask. And, and and as Murph said, you could stumble. If you keep Bradford, you're actually hedging your bets. You can then stumble potentially into the Russell Wilson, the Tom Brady, you know, the inexpensive, not first round guy. And then you've got the best of all possible worlds. And, and 
we're looking at the situation right now that the Vikings looked at, that the Packers looked at, um, and the, during the whole Brett Favre saga. Right. You know, it's it's yeah, Brett Favre is an imperfect player, and he's f- you know forty nine and a half years old, <laughs> and he's you know does weird things and sends weird pictures to people. But the you know the other option is Tavares Jackson or Matt Flynn. You know, drafting a Matt Flynn. So they signed, you know, the first time the Packers signed Brett Favre and they draft Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers happens to hit. And right. guess what? It, it, I would argue that it was not nuclear holocaust that ensued because <laughs> Aaron Rodgers had to sit for three years behind Brett Favre. Right. Jonathan Tannenwald, our intrepid producer, uh, howdy. Um, weighs in. <clears throat> you listed all the AFC quarterbacks and I'm thinking about the NFC quarterbacks and the likelihood that there probably haven't been that many of them either. Eli Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and who else? Breeze. Uh, Drew Breeze. Yes. Breeze. Who's rather good. Yes. Kaepernick. Kurt Warner a few times. Right? Three times. Warner's been to three Super Bowls. Since since Not since Eagles 2002. Not. No. Um, twice. Let's just talk about since Donovan. To, okay. me, to, me, sure. Don, to me, Donovan. So, so the thing that, Breeze, Wilson, Kaepernick, Rodgers, Eli. The thing that sets this whole thing up to me is the notion that we're entertaining in 2016, January of 2016, is the same notion that we entertained in January of 2010 when everyone agreed Donovan that Donovan had McNabb had, 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 had proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he would never lead the Eagles to a Super Bowl. And because he had done that, the best option was to trade him away and then uh, you know just go down to the grocery store and find, and find the guy, buy the guy that, that would take them there. Uh, they thought it was, you know, the media allowed the shadow world of no, the Novacare complex to talk them into Kevin Cobb. They went fishing with him. Uh, they admired his grit. And then they saw that he couldn't play football, uh, that he had a noodle arm, that he was, at, in a best-case scenario, Kirk Cousins. So they moved on to Michael Vick, who had a MVP 10-game stretch. And then... Started burping the ball up. And then people forgot... The same thing that they learned under Donna McNabb, which they would later learn under Chip Kelly, which is that the NFL adapts and you can throw somebody that they haven't prepared for at them for 10 games, but much longer than that. And they're going to they're not going to sleep until they figure out a way to stop you. And they did that with Michael Vick the same way he, they did it his first time through the NFL, the same way they did, way they did it with Donna McNabb and forced him to go from a guy doing, you know, Michael Jackson dances in the end zone after scrambles in Washington to a guy who was a pocket passer. Um, and was actually hesitant to scramble by the end of his career. He had, Donovan McNabb had to adapt because people caught up to him. You got everybody is looking for this quarterback that does not ex- that has not existed since that 2010 season, and frankly has not existed anywhere in the NFL. In in any quarterback drafted, the only ones Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson. I would argue Matt Ryan. Um, Newton's development fascinates me. Because I don't even think we can count. Get, he was. Kim Newton's a once in a gener like right. You can't even count him. But if, well, but here's the thing: the first co- there were so many questions when he came out of Auburn about whether he could actually do this in the NFL. And it took he had a, a flash at the start, and then it took him a couple of years to get to this level. Well, I, and again, I. Which harkens to Rogers. I'm, I'm still a Cam Newton denier. Right. Well, I understand that, but and it took Rogers. Now, granted, Rogers had Favre in front of him, but it took him a couple of years. And it, it made me think of what you were saying earlier about making a three-year commitment to Bradford, which is not actually that long. And, and let, I, let, I, let, I, wait, wait, let me let me let me be clear because people get people people hear these like trigger words and they don't pay attention to anything else that you say. When I say three-year commitment, I say that the standard contract for an NFL quarterback in Sam Bradford's situation, be he Ryan Tannehill all the way up to Philip Rivers, and you know I. I Matt Ryan is essentially a five-year deal that guarantees money for four years and intractably sticks you with a quarterback for three years. So anyway, carry on. Are you committing also not only – this is what I was ultimately going to ask. Perhaps you'd be committing not only to a quarterback for three years but to a coach for three years. And the reason why I say that is because – you get the impression that Jeff Lurie is starting to have an itchy trigger finger with his coaches here, that if Peterson and Bradford don't hit it off right away and all of a sudden are producing magic, 
Is Lurie going to put it on Peterson? I think he will, yeah. I think his track record suggests that. Um, we've discussed that in the past, and I've written about that in the past, that Lurie has this reputation as being a very patient owner with respect to his head coaches, when in fact what he was was very patient with respect to one quarterback, Donovan McNabb. You know, Andy redrafted McNabb. He got 10 years with him. Once Donovan left, Andy got three more years. He got the same amount of time that Chip Kelly got uh, and cycled through quarterbacks just like Kelly did. So um, I think it's vitally important to Peterson. And I, 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 if you shot him up with sodium pentothal on Tuesday before his press conference and asked him why part of the reason he was so high on Sam Bradford, it's because, hey, look, the clock is ticking. I've got to get a quarterback. Nobody knows that better than he does. Um, I've got to get a quarterback. It's why Mike McCarthy can still have a job in Green Bay. It's why, uh, you know, a guy like Mike Smith can last as long as he lasts in Atlanta it's because he's got Matt Ryan uh, there. You know, it's it's part of the reason that Bill Belichick is regarded as the genius that he is. I mean, you know, nobody liked, nobody at the Novacare Complex liked Chip Kelly for the way he interacted with people. I don't hear anybody out of Foxborough talk about what a warm and fuzzy guy Bill Belichick is. The reason Bill Belichick doesn't have to be warm and fuzzy is because he wins. And the reason he wins, primarily, I would argue, is because of Tom Brady. All right. Now, this, so this is actually, I love how the rhythm of the universe beats in my favor sometimes. <laughs> um, it beats in somebody's favor. That's good news. 2010. Rhythm is going to get you. Rhythm is 2010 gonna... was the year. 2009 was McNabb's last season, correct? Yes. It, with the Eagles, yes. Okay. So they traded him in... in March of 2010 or something, from what I remember, right? Yes. The emotional um, scars yes. of okay. The emotional so let's, scars let's, of working that night still linger. <laughs> I think. So let's. I actually remember where I was because it was, was Easter weekend. I was yes, I was in the Nationals clubhouse talking to Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins about it because um, I was I was a big, um, big McNabb. I don't want to say fan, but I was a big support. The, the idea you, you the were idea willing that, to support him whenever you were zigging where Bell's. Well, was I was. Hacking. What I was. Uh, I just kept on saying. The notion that you're going to find somebody who lets you be as productive as you are right now with Donovan McNabb is very slim. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're, there's a very good chance that you're going to go through a five-year period right. where you're trying quarterbacks out and not winning games. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't consider myself a prophet. <laughs> but anyway, so I so do let's call say you Jeremiah. Let's, from let's time say to time. yeah, 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 yeah. So let's say uh, let, let, let's pretend that Sam Bradford is not is Donovan McNabb right now. All right. Mm -hmm. It's 2010. Uh, Sam Bradford is Donovan McNabb. You say, thank you for your service, you know, but we just don't think that you can get us there. You know, we don't think that you're one of these guys we see. You're, you're not Tom Brady. You're not, you know, whatever. We're going to draft a guy, mm -hmm. right? We're right. going gonna to let him walk. We're going to draft a guy. We're going we're gonna to let Sanchez kind of, you know, be the Doug Peterson, and we're going to bring in Paxton Lynch or whatever. Yeah. Um, Carson, what's his name? Carson Wentz. Wentz, yeah. So here's what you would have... Here's 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 the order you would have gone in in 2010. Um, if you happen if, if the Eagles had happened had the number one overall pick, they would have selected a guy named Sam Bradford. I'm fine by me. Okay, uh, and then uh, Tim Tebow, Jimmy Clausen, and Colt McCoy. Those were the four quarterbacks drafted in the first three rounds that year. Um, and then, okay, so so I mean we've already you've already said. Sam Bradford's not your kind of quarterback, so so the next year you would have had Tebow. However, the simple mind, <laughs> the the, the uh, I, look, I don't I don't like to, like to or really know how to speak for the simple minded out there who we keep who we keep noting are incorrect, but I sure do think they would have been calling for Tebow back in the day. Would they have not? They pro they probably would have. Yeah, they, I don't they, know what the all I know is that they would have been that that's the that is those are the those were the four quarterbacks drafted: Sam Bradford, Tim Tebow, uh, Jimmy Clausen, and Colt McCoy. So so. By by our by the definition I'm granting but that, that I'm allowing you to work on work from for the sake of the argument, you would not have gotten your guy in 2010. Uh, in 2011, you would have had if you had the number one overall pick, you would have had you would have gotten Cam Newton. Right. Okay, that's you had a one in thirty. That well, the Eagles did not have the number one overall pick. The number one <laughs> overall pick. So then, uh, after now, now listen to this stretch of greatness. Um, after Cam Newton went Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, Andy Dalton, Colin Kaepernick, and Ryan Mallett. I mean, it, it, the only one you uh, personally, the only one you would have possibly considered is Andy Dalton. Right. But again, like is Andy Dalton, has he shown himself? To, have they won a playoff game yet? No. He wasn't. He was 
Right, but right. the fact is he's the, the, they have not won a playoff game since they drafted right. Andy Dalton. Right. Um, so, again, if you did not have the number one overall pick, which you do not this year, and you did not in 2010, you were not getting Cam Newton. And, and so after Cam, let's see, Locker, Gabbert, Ponder, Dalton, Kaepernick, Mallett, Bradford, Tebow, Clawson, McCoy. All right, now, we're two, years into, we're two years into the contract you did not want to give Sam Bradford. And unless you were the worst team in the NFL one of those two years, you did not get a guy who's better than him. Let's go to 2012. Again, Andrew Luck, boom, you got your guy. Num- you have to have the number one overall pick. After that, uh, Robert Griffin, Ryan Tannehill, Brandon, Brandon Whedon, Brock Osweiler, finally, Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. In the third round. So and, you get cr- and, you, and you have to take him. In taking him, you have to make what is regarded as a gutsy player personnel decision that somebody who is that short, not small, because he's not small, he's not right. a small guy, but he is short. Will be able to succeed as an NFL but now, quarterback. So, so now let's put let's 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 look at this in terms of odds. We're th- we are three years in to this. We are three years past the point of departure from Sam Bradford when you wished him well and said, you know, we can't commit to you. So we're three years in, and unless if you did Brad, not, I mean McNabb, you mean? Well, I mean, yeah. you know, in our hypothetical right. situation, okay, I see. If it had been 2010 and you were saying goodbye to Bradford, gotcha. the same way you say goodbye to McNabb. Um, if you did not have the number one overall pick in any any of those three years, if you were not the absolute worst team in the NFL in any one of those three years, you would have had 17 quarterbacks drafted in the first three rounds, of whom only Russell Wilson was this franchise guy, guy. This franchise guy that you're talking about. Right. So, so you're talking about a one in, say, 15 chance of getting that guy over three years. Yeah. Over three years. And that's not in the, your, that, not in the, the next draft. In and, three, over and, three years. And that's your argument for not committing to Sam Bradford. Just and, in case you happen to find. And, and making no consideration of the idea that some other, other bonkers crazy owner who absolutely had his eyes fixated on one of those quarterbacks. Right, exactly. Blew up the draft that year for all intents and well, purposes. Like t- so, so take this year. Which is, oddly enough, why Sam Bradford and Robert Griffin III are linked in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. We'll take it, yeah. Because that's how he ended up in St. Louis. Put it this way. Long story short, you cannot, you cannot convince me, and I probably, if I was given the time, could convince you mathematically that there is a far greater chance of, of the draft pick you draft going bust Right. Than Sam Bradford going bust, and that's and and but I'll say this: if you want to make the argument against Sam Bradford, it's it's only his health. It's saying it does no good to end up with Sanchez anyway as your quarterback and twenty million less dollars under the cap because Sam Bradford spends the entire contract, whatever, immobilized. That being said, this segues into our next point, which is you got to find a guy who can find the guy. Exactly, and that you know your column. Tuesday was to this point, and it was a very good point, which is this is a lot of Sturm and Drang about Doug Peterson and can he coach, can he not coach? Wait, 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 wait. What? Sturm and Drang. Like, a lot of noise. You didn't take German back in the day? A lot of noise. Okay. Okay. I've never heard that word in my time. You were an an English major? It's a phrase. You were an English major? He's a communication yes. major. Yeah. Yeah. Sound and Fury is what you're Sound and Fury. The Shakespearean. Okay. Like okay. I have that on my shelf. Okay. okay. So I, read, anyway. I read the Cliffs Notes my senior so, year. Anyway, all right. So there's a lot of, of noise about Doug Peterson. Can he manage the clock and in the final three minutes of a game and all that kind of stuff? That's all fine. But as Murph noted in his column for Tuesday, the most important role or problem, role they have to fill or problem they have to solve for the Eagles is who's going to be picking the players. And there was the revelation on Tuesday that they're going to hire a player personnel guy. What kind of guy that's going to be, Jeffrey Lurie would not say. He ostensibly is holding out the hope that they could hire somebody, I guess, who would be above Howie Roseman. Though, in that scenario, presumably, if you're hiring somebody above your vice president of player personnel then that new hire would have had the power to pick the head coach, which he clearly does not. So that raises the issue of who of someone, would someone of that ilk and that status come here in the first place? Or are you going to hire the next Ed Manowitz, the young up-and-comer who's going to learn at Howie's feet, which 
I'm not sure makes much of a difference anyway. And so then get fired and go whatever talents he learned. You'll is this, benefit the, somebody is this else. the word you were saying? No. Okay. You, that's Schadenfreude. That's what I thought. No, Sturm and Drang is, is Sand and Fury. Okay. <laughs> the listeners can't I'm see still... your phone, unfortunately. Yeah, I can. Schadenfreude. 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 I'll tweet a picture of you. Yeah, holding your phone, read it here. Just I will no. say this: you should tweet a picture from this one because this is this is the one podcast where I'm not actually wearing sweatpants and <laughs> a right, red go. hooded sweatshirt with oil stains on the on the sleeves. Uh, I'm actually uh, slightly pe- professionally dressed today. Took a shower. Big day for big day for D Murph. Um, yeah. So here's my thing: they can go one of two ways with this hire. They can go the Jerry Colangelo route. Um, which is a guy whose primary purpose, and again, this is I'm, I'm kind of projecting my own personal opinions <laughs> of the Sixer situation onto this, but um, a guy whose primary role is to sell what the unlikable man behind the curtain is cooking. To lend a veneer of credibility. Exactly. Um, it is a strict, which is why, uh, well, I'm not even going to start with the Jaws stuff, but, but, Anyway, that one way they can go is, is to just bring in a guy who says, you're doing a heck of a job, Howie. This this was actually what I thought. This was the route I thought the Phillies were taking with Andy McPhail when mm-hmm. they hired him. I thought he was going to come in here. Everything I had seen from that organization during my time covering it had suggested that they had just hired a uh, respected name to come in and say, yeah, you know what? Ruben's actually done a really good job. Uh, but I'm here to watch over him for the right. next three years. When in reality, he's he's done a heck of a job, in my opinion, bringing in young talent, mm-hmm. um, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, that that's one route. And then the other route is, you know, what ended up being the Andy McPhail route, which is bringing in a guy who actually knows what the heck he's doing mm-hmm. um, to look at the personnel department and say, I'm going to build this thing in my image. I'm going to build this thing so it can be sustainable. Uh, so there's not this turnover. To, you know, there, to me, the personnel departments you're looking at are the Green Bay Packers. And that's relevant because when the Chiefs signed the when when the Chiefs signed Andy Reid and Doug Peterson in 2013, they also hired a general manager. Uh, I, I don't know if general manager was his term, but he was the head of personnel, the guy that the Eagles are looking for now, named John Dorsey, who was a longtime Packers scout and the head of their college scouting department. They brought that guy in. Mm-hmm. You know, not a big name, right? But a guy, like somebody who knows his stuff, is around the who's league, from a system who knows what a functional, sustainable personnel department looks like, and has plenty of talent. And tr- or plenty of plenty of plenty of track record identifying talent, mm-hmm. uh, and that same year, or, or you know, whatever year Pete Carroll was hired, a couple of years before that, they brought in John Schneider, who again, same type of thing, um, you know, came up under Ted Thompson, and was that that is the kind of guy I think that they need. I don't think that they need a you know Bill Polian. There's a reason Bill Polian does not have a has right. not had a job since he left Indianapolis. You know, there's there's a reason why. He's on ESPN right now. And again, all due respect to Bill Polian, but Bill Polian drafted Peyton Manning. You know, that that's what he did. Yeah. And frankly, the fact that they only won one Super Bowl with arguably one of the three greatest quarterbacks of all time at the helm, you know, that, that, suggests they were lacking in some other areas. Exactly. Um, so so don't like don't throw a name at me. Don't throw Bill Polian. Don't throw Tom Donahoe. Throw results at me. Mm-hmm. You know, I if you hired whoever's on in char- whoever in the Steelers draft room is in charge of identifying wide receivers to pick, if you hired that guy, I think it'd be a great move. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it, it's the same. It's the same. You know, and, and this is why I, I I took some hope from yesterday's press conference because Jeffrey Lurie said something about winning the press conference, and he has not actually shown himself to be a guy who 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 is looking for that with Andy Reid and Doug Peterson now, and even Ray Rhodes. Uh, they need to, they, they, they can't hire a win the press conference guy. They don't want a guy who's just there to explain what how he's doing and make everybody, you know, feel good about it. They need a guy who can build a, a, a functional personnel department, whether it's a guy who worked, has worked under Kevin Colbert in Pittsburgh, who has worked under Ted Thompson in Green Bay, who has worked under, um, who's the uh, cards guy? Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Steve. Um, anyway. Yeah. Somebody who knows how to build whatever those organizations have because those organizations have a knack for how to find talent on a consistent basis, which the, the Eagles have not had. Yeah. The question is, are you going to be able to get that guy? Um, which I obviously am skeptical about um, because, you know, 
for the obvious reasons. Lurie and Roseman seem to be attached to the hip one way or another. Um, you haven't brought this guy in already and had him in on the process of hiring the head coach. Uh, and that, again, that takes nothing away from Doug Peterson. It's, it's very, very possible that the Eagles hired the right guy as a head coach for all the wrong reasons. But that if you're going to bring in that kind of guy, you know, the John Dorsey type, the John Schneider type, it holds open the possibility of him saying to Laurie and Roseman, guys, you're not doing it the right way. And they've already started down this path. And so who are you going to hire? You're going to hire a young guy looking for an opportunity who at at least some level is going to learn from the people who are already there and how and Roseman and Donahoe. Um, and that doesn't bode well. So Yeah, you know what? So so the one thing that did bode well to me, or at least kept the door open, kept the boating door open, whatever that means, um, is that when Jeff McLean, who, who props out to Jeff, did a, uh, f- a phenomenal job of, of... Oh, he basically went like... Law and order. Jeff McLean. Jeff yeah. McLean won the press conference yesterday. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, he he. Uh, you know he 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 was not like it, when these when these radio guys mic themselves up and try to get confrontational. Like uh, what they lack is substantive questions, right? And like a an actual you know overarching strategy to their to their to their approach. You know, I mean, Jeff McLean had one moment. He was like Bunny Rabbit in Eight Mile. Like he was on the stage. His hood was on. Like he could not. He he had to have. He had to have boom, 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 question, question, question. And he had him. I was, mm-hmm. I was, it was, it was a, uh, I mean, it was just a, a remarkable performance. I was in absolute awe of Jeff McLean. Uh, and I, I can't even tell you the, the, the question, the sequence of question he asked. All I know is it was like watching Roy Halliday deal a sequence of pitches. It, it was basic. And, and, and the revelation was essentially the biggest revelation. And the last question he asked was, will this person, this was like the uh, code red moment. Did yeah. you order the, will this person answer to Howie Roseman? And Jeff Lurie blinked and said, I'll answer that later. Yeah. Which yeah. to me says... He will. No. To me, says he might not. I think it depends on... Again, it depends on who you hire. I think it's a matter of which, you know... I guess my point is, Jeffrey Lurie, to me, left the door open. If they, fa- if they have a guy that they really like, and that guy will only come to Philadelphia... If Howie Roseman answers to him, I think Jeffrey Lurie left that door open yesterday. I don't know. I I don't know. I've yet to see enough evidence of Jeffrey Lurie's willingness to have Howie Roseman oh. answer to somebody else. Oh, believe me, the evidence is not in favor of it. All all I know is it was not. Jeffrey Lurie could have definitively ruled it out mm-hmm. and said, and, "Yes, the guy will answer to Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman will be the person selected." And had he had he said that, you would have jumped over Jeff McLean, grabbed no, the microphone, and I expected it. And I, <laughs> I, 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 that's what I, I expected. We all probably yeah. would have in the same situation. Now look, yeah. now, now, now I will say this: you guys are correct in the sense that every other piece of evidence suggests that you know, Doug Peterson said, you know, how did the coach? Somebody asked him, how did, how did you first get involved with the coaching search? And he said. Howie Roseman, you know, called me. Right. Ron Jaworski, which we're not even going to get into because we don't <laughs> have long enough time. When Ron Jaworski said, how did you get him? Someone asked, how did you get involved? Ron Jaworski said, Howie Roseman called me. So there's no reason to think that the odds are in favor of Howie Roseman not being the guy that calls this personnel guy and offers him a job and says, will you come be my lieutenant? That being said, Jeffrey Lurie did not rule it out. And that's... You know, for the same reason though, why he well not for the same reason, what for a potentially parallel reason to why he did not offer a uh, statement definitively about Sam Bradford, which as we were talking about before mm-hmm. we came on the air, would have had his agent standing right outside the door saying, "Here's the check signed, and thank you, goodbye, talk to you later." But that's my point. If it's not, if something is not not if something is not non-negotiable, then it's negotiable. And if it's negotiable, you've already shown your hand. That's some lovely logic right there. So. Well, it's true. He's it right. It is true. I just, I, I, like if you're yeah, the guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as um, thunderstruck by the idea of him leaving that door open because I don't see how they could hire somebody who would fill that uh, profile. Well, I think this, I think it would be this. I think it would be a John Dorsey, a, or a, put it this way. If you, if they made the right, the only way they've made the right hire 
is if 95% of us have never heard of the guy before. Because <laughs> I had never heard of John Dorsey when they hired him. And I'm not saying Dorsey's done a great job, but he's the kind of guy that, you know, I mean, there's guys out there. Yeah. I didn't know Scott Pioli necessarily when, when the Chiefs, you know, hired him. There's these personnel guys that come from stable organizations that for for whatever reason are able to move from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Schneider did it. Dorsey did it. They need to find that guy. That guy, if he's me, is going to say, I will only even talk to you guys if I am not, an- I do not answer to Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman doesn't necessarily have to answer to me, but I will not answer to Howie Roseman. You can create a structure then where Again, this was, and, and I wrote, wrote this today, this was the structure, the balance, of, for them. The balance yeah. of power that existed during their heyday, which was Joe Banner, you know, kind of minding his own business, not, not doing press conferences, just kind of staying behind the scenes, doing the cap stuff, doing the negotiations, informing, uh, you know, planning, spreadsheeting, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. He's saying, basically setting the parameters. Logistics, the list, yeah. Saying, here's what we can spend. Right. Here are some guys, if you're looking for a defensive end, this right. is kind of the, the the target salary area, that sort of thing. And frankly, I think I think Howie, would, I mean, the, the, his tragic flaw is that he hasn't realized that that is probably his strength, and he could actually be very good at it, I think. The problem is, he, he he's like this... Clint Eastwood trouble with the curve kind of guy where like <laughs> he just wants he wants to be the guy wait a minute you didn't know Sturm and Drang but you know trouble <laughs> with the curve I covered baseball oh, but God. like he's just had he's harbored there's this, so many better Amy Adams movies he's har- he's harbored this fantasy he's I mean he's like the guy he's like one of these like Twitter draft experts who's like you know it's like just like whatever that's his that's his yeah. idea of a Times Square you know nickel theater <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. um, and, and he needs to let that go and he needs to, you know, be the v- executive VP of football operations. Uh, he can't be the president because Don Smolensky is the president, but, but EVP of football operations. Bring in a guy who you can say, you're our personnel guy. You have complete authority over evaluation, acquisition, roster composition, and you will work closely with the head coach on it. But, but in the end, your vote matters. You will consult with Howie. If Howie has objections, he will bring them to me. If you got, you know, if you guys get in a fight, they'll bring them to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. But I think that I think that's a very, I think that is the most sane solution. I think it's a realistic solution. I think it's a solution that Jeffrey Lurie did not rule out yesterday. But the doomsday scenario is the solution where they bring in Ron Jaworski as their general manager. <laughs> Jaworski does all the press conferences and wins, Howie win, wins them all, and you know, has the radio and the so forth yeah out of his like how he's how he's, how his problem is like he wants to be the guy in there watching tape and saying we should drink, take marcus smith you right. know um that's right and like he can't do that that's not that's just not your job you haven't you know you had your shot albeit quick you, you did not prove yourself a success at it and now just go back to your go back to your office do what you do well you know be joe banner and allow this unnamed personnel executive x from you know, stable organization. Why to do everything that you wish you could be doing? Was that person named Ed Manowitz? No, Ed Manowitz was a. Ed Manowitz had no experience whatsoever. He might he might turn out to be a fine, you know, he might turn out to be a fine talent evaluator. But the fact of the matter is, he graduated from college in two thousand and six. You know, let me. I have why I asked that is because you sound you seem to be describing what his job was. No, 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 no. no, no. Yeah. If I am, then then I'm giving the wrong impression. My the, my ideal candidate is a guy who has run another team's scouting department for. Yeah, so so anyway, so, you, he's so not the, way, the right candidate. But I'm saying the the no, job that he's. No, but the, the, that's different. Like the, okay, the Manowitz. It's, I'm Emanowitz describing would be, Con- the, would be the wrong person for what Murph is describing. Emanowitz okay. had that job. He was the wrong guy for it. That's what, they, what I'm saying. What I'm saying is describing the job, not the person. Uh, right. I would argue that this position that I'm describing has not existed since Tom Heckert. Right. Uh, you know, and Tom Modrak initially had it, and then Tom Heckert had it, and then things just got out. You know, then the balance of power got all out of whack, and it was essentially Andy doing everything, and then you know, whatever, yada yada yada. What I'm looking for is a guy who is not answerable to anybody except Jeffrey Lurie on personnel acquisition and evaluation matters. He doesn't necessarily have, Howie Roseman does not necessarily have to answer to him, but this guy has, has 
carte blanche yeah. to use one of your fancy foreign <laughs> words. <laughs> Just the idea being that if Howie is able to go to this guy and say, you can spend X over Y amount of right. time on a right tackle or a left tackle. Right. This guy can then say, okay, I know that. I'm going to go find... I'm gonna, we should sign this guy. But you can't allow Howie to be able to say, no, I don't like that left tackle. Right. Go find another one. Right. Because that's how, that is what happened. You know, that's how everything got messed up in the first place because Howie, thought, Howie wanted to be the guy to, to identify those guys. And, you know, even if he wasn't actively doing it, he could passively doing it by, say, by saying, we shouldn't be doing this. You know? Passively that's doing not the, it might be worse. That's the wrong guy. It is worse. It it's, is worse. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's why the Eagles organization is as messed up as it is today because the entire thing has run on a, a, a weird energy of passive aggression and, and the irony is if you talk to people with no chip that's one thing they'll say about him like he's a passive aggressive type right. of the guy which is why the thing just kind of blew up when you have two passive aggressive guys kind of you know whatever manipulating yeah. each other and yeah. it's just like it, it's it's just it's like it's the how NFL, families break apart. it's like the nfl version of mean girls basically it's how re, <laughs> it is how every relationship breaks apart essentially so have I made myself clear, John? Because you are, you are, you are, a, a dating advice show you are Citizen X. You are like, I'm the, do you understand the person that I'm, do you understand the person that yes, I am? Yes, I do. Okay. Are we going to have a dating advice show next on here? That might be our next bit of things we talk about. If you want to, if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about things that people are not qualified for, I would be the Howie Roseman of dating advice. Wow. That would, um, can I recommend match.com? <laughs> I've heard. I, I've heard I've heard of some success stories. I, you're you're, I, si you're I, sitting I, next to one. I, I got, I got I things that I want to talk about. I'm not sure that's. <laughs> what, how, how long are we into this thing? Uh, Fifty minutes or so. All right. What else probably. do we have? Yeah. What else? What else? What else? What else jumped out at you yesterday? Well, it's funny. I just I literally filed a column about an hour before uh, we started this podcast about you want to talk about passive aggressiveness. The the shots that Lurie, I don't want to talk about passive aggressiveness. Why would you say that? <laughs> the shots that Lurie has taken at Kelly over these two press conferences over the last couple of weeks, to me, are pretty remarkable. And what stood out to me uh, Tuesday was the fact that he admitted in his opening statement that even before the Tuesday that he decided to fire Chip, you know, he fires him on Tuesday. I guess it's the 29th, December 29th that he already had been researching possible replacements. That's amazing. That's now, really just... So my question... In, it's like saying like... And then he later on... By the he, way, I was cheating on you the whole time. Yeah. And, and Ruben Frank from Comcast Sportsnet pressed Lurie on this later in the press conference, and Lurie tried to deny it, but only ended up reaffirming what he had said earlier, which is that, oh, you know, it wasn't like I was looking for replacements. I was just doing the research just in case things fell apart with this head coach who I really didn't like. Then it would, we all, you just, know, we'd be ready for it. We were just texting, I swear. Yeah. I, I, got, I got your column up on my phone, and I will hereby make my pitch for the listeners to go out and download the Philly Sports Now app if they have not yet. Uh, it's in the iTunes store, just like this podcast. Yeah, but my, but so my, here's, here's, go ahead. Yeah. And I quote, The Eagles were still a viable playoff team as of kickoff against the Washingtons, as I like, or the Landovers, as I like to call them, on the Saturday, December 26th. Had they won that night... All they needed to do to win the NFC East was beat the lowly Giants by the beat the lowly Giants the following week. And yet Lurie, by his own admission, already was researching potential replacements for Kelly, end quote, and I will add, while they were still the favorites to win the damn division. Exactly. And now think about this. If if they had won those final two games. Oh, that's that and finished eight and eight and made the playoffs, Lurie was probably gonna fire him anyway. Well, what do you fire to me? <laughs> this is, and this is why Lurie's initial press conference in the the aftermath of firing Chip Kelly just flabbergasted me, and and but why I wrote the next day that they essentially threw away the 2015 season because of the way they they you just don't run an organization like this, you know. Right. You, you you think about it. You, you give Chip Kelly the whole thing is just like com it's just comical to th I think back at that press conference it's just, it really still hurts my head to, to like try to make sense of what Jeffrey Lurie is saying but anyway he said I only first first he said I only put Chip in charge so it would be his fault when right what we knew was going to happen happened, happened. <laughs> and then which we knew a year ago yeah so he said so essentially he said I only put this guy in charge because I wanted him to be the one that it blew up on and and then 
he made sure that it was going to blow up on him by keeping the keeping a guy with a long history of undermining anybody who challenges his authority in the building. Yep. And and not only in the building, this was the revelation from that press conference. I thought Howie Roseman was like just in a broom closet somewhere, like polishing helmets. Like he was still an act. Like Chip Kelly was still expected to interact with Howie Roseman and be a collaborator. Yep. Collaborator. You know, it, it was like. Of course, they didn't collaborate. You know, you, this is not how power. This is you, you don't keep the uh, usurper in the you don't keep the usurper in the uh, in the castle after you, you quash his, yeah, yeah. his his coup d'état. <laughs> like it doesn't work that way. It's just it's like power one hundred and one. Yeah, uh, it, it, he, it's like he read. Uh, you know the chicken soup version of the Machiavellian soul. It was like the print, the uh, <laughs> chicken soup version the of bizarre, the bizarre soul. The bizarro prince. You know, it was yeah. like George. He was like George Costanza <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to act out the prince. Yeah. Uh, and 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 it, it, think about this: the entire season, Howie Roseman essentially has unfettered access to Jeffrey Lurie's ear. Chip Kelly's out. You know, actually doing things, being productive, trying to win games, coaching. You know. Not talk, not interacting with his players, whatever. Closing himself off to society and the <laughs> hearts of the city. Meanwhile, Howie Roseman every day is eating lunch with Lurie, sitting in the biggest thing. Think about this image: Howie Roseman sitting in the personnel suite during football games, especially during the Eagles' one and three start, saying, "You, you know, talk about passive aggressive opportunities." Sitting, you know. <laughs> You know, uh, and see that you throw start, by Sammy. I don't know. And like, like things just all kind of started to make sense to me when you like remember remember all those conversations. Like, remember these podcast conversations we had about who's leaking stuff. Like, where you know, where did this thing? There was the idea that Chip Kelly's meeting USC come from. You uh-huh. know, where did these dark Demarco Murray conversations come from? Where did you know? Like, yeah. it, it, it's just like it, it, it's even if it wasn't Howie actively, you know, cutting Chip's legs off through any means possible, th- the impression was there. And I can tell you. Chip, Chip Kelly definitely thought that's what was happening. Absolutely. And you saw it in his attitude towards certain members of the media towards the end of it. Uh, like, mm-hmm. Did we mention one of them on the show already? No, I don't think so. Of Chip, but, uh, but I mean, like, 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 I mean, I Chip, mean take, Chip clashed with Jeff McClain for different take, reasons. Take, yeah, we'll take his Mc, but take Jeff's Sean McCoy story. Right. Like that, where Chip, where, where Chip, like, if you, after the fact, I went back and thought about if Chip had actually seen howie roseman sitting there mm-hmm. and like i feel like that it would have been his exact reaction yeah to, like it's almost like yeah. it wasn't just fault it was chip saying like you're you know we're just playing in howie's hands right and you're you know right. like this everyone's you know he felt it the, the ground collapsing from and, beneath him and and think about this you know we just you just spent basically five minutes detailing office politics right okay that's what we've been discussing with respect to the eagles for basically the last year is not merely are these personnel moves going to work and is Chip Kelly a good coach or not. Like, what is happening within the building? So what does that tell you yeah. about what's happening within the building? But that's why... It, yeah. it tells you that the mission, first and foremost, is not to be a great football organization. It's not. It's not. It's funny. I, I You know, I, Murph and I, one of the, the pet peeves, I don't know if it's a pet peeve, it's the wrong way to say it, but one of the interesting things about Philadelphia as a media market is that you have a lot of people who have worked here for a very long time and not worked in many other places, for, for good or for bad, okay? Murph and I are not among those guys. Murph spent a lot of time working in South Carolina and Florida. I spent three and a half years working in New York. And one of the interesting things I think about that that applies to this Eagle situation is that doing that from a job standpoint, from a day-to-day, how do you do your job, You know, what are the machinations that you go through just to get through each day, and what do you aspire to be in your job? Your perspective on that changes, okay? Without getting into great detail, I worked at a place in New York for a person in New York who for a while I did not care for, okay? <laughs> and I just leave it at that. But I look back on that time now and I think about how differently I was, we were challenged to do our jobs and how it seemed crazy at the time and how I didn't like it. I didn't like the guy who was asking me to do that. And it, and this goes beyond like, oh, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It, it actually ended up expanding my understanding of how to do my job. And I'm being purposely cryptic about this. No, but I, th- it's, I have the same I have the same guy. Who, you know. Yeah. But the point is that that level of discomfort helped. 
because the aspiration of the organization was always to be great. It was always to, we're going to do this better than everybody else does it. We're going to do it differently from the way everybody else does it. And it's going to take you out of your comfort zone and you're not going to like it. And you may want to leave. And if you want to leave, that's okay. Because you're not, that means you're not cut out or you're not destined to be here. But once you go through it and deal with it, you're better equipped actually to do the job you want to do. And I honestly feel that as impolite and as nasty as Chip Kelly might have been to people within the NovaCare complex, and all you have to do is walk up to some of them and say, hey, how did Chip Kelly treat you? And you'll get a 10-minute harangue from them about what a terrible human being he was. Not Aaron Hearn. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's only like a one-inning harangue. Right. The fact, of the, the fact remains that the Eagles have not won a championship. They have not been at the top of their organ, you know, organizationally of the NFL since 1960. Yeah. That's 55 plus years. That organization has needed someone or something to come in and do it differently. Well, that, when, that, that was my whole thing. And again, say what you will about Chip Kelly, but when it started to come out that 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 this was even before he was fired that chip kelly's culture is there's you know there's there's a clash with you know chip you know the whole uh jeffrey lurs saying i'm going to take my building back right. it's like bro like maybe it wasn't chip kelly maybe chip kelly's culture wasn't the one that needed to go you right. know what i'm saying exactly. like like that's and, and, and but the baffling thing about it was that i thought they had already made that decision the year beforehand when they said all right, Howie, go downstairs. Yeah, you know, like that was just it. Was that you know, and we've discussed this and written about. Jeffrey Lurie did not have the courage of his convictions. He didn't. He didn't want to stand up and say, "I'm all in with Chip Kelly. I brought in a coach and a football guy who there's no half measures with. You're either with him all the way or you're not. You're not with him at all." And he couldn't bring himself to do that. He hedged his bet. He kept Howie in there. He was, you know, he was with Chip. As long as Chip was winning. It's it's funny. There's this old line from um, uh, the movie Dog Day Afternoon. Another thing that he's not going to get? The movie Dog Day <laughs> Afternoon, which is about it. It's <laughs> boiled down. It's about a hostage situation. Okay? And the, the chief of police is overseeing this hostage situation. And he's trying to, to figure out how to solve it. And the mayor comes in and says, you know, chief, I'm with you as long as you're right. And the chief says back to him, well, if I'm right, I don't need you. And... That's that was the Chip Kelly Jeffrey Lurie dynamic in a nutshell. Jeffrey Lurie was with Chip Kelly as long as Chip was right, and that's not how you run an organization. It's just not. I have heard the criticism many times since well before Chip Kelly arrived that Jeff Lurie's number one priority is not necessarily winning a Super Bowl. I think is and, and and even the little rhetorical game that I might have played here. If anything else is not, is your number one argument, is your number one goal, or anything else is your co-number one goal or whatever it is, and winning a Super Bowl is not number one by a long distance, then you're going to get an earful from people like us and everybody else, and rightly so. The problem, the thing you got to keep in mind is, I think Jeffrey Lurie wants, that's why, that's, I think he wants to win a Super Bowl, but he wants, he wants to win a Super Bowl. Like and that, he, right. You know, like he, it. Here's it's not about winning a Super Bowl and doing whatever it takes to win a Super Bowl. It's winning a Super Bowl doing a Jeffrey Lurie. That's right. Right. And, it, and, it's and a, I've seen and a lot of NFL owners go down and blaze, well, blaze glory like that. Well, it's because you have to keep in mind. And at some point, I think maybe I'm going to write a little bit about this. Because at some point, you, you have to keep in mind that these guys purchased these organizations as vanity projects. Right. Like you do not. Like most of these guys are guys who come from money, who were born billionaires, who have never built a business in their entire lives. And they bought an NFL football team because it allows them to run a business. And it's the cheapest way to do that um, because you can't buy successful businesses because you don't have enough money to do that and nobody sells them. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, well, look at look, and, look, look at the organizations that are successful. Right. Robert Kraft was not born into his billions. Robert Kraft right. made, made that. The Rooney family, part of the reason they can continue to be a successful organization is because now it's a family lineage. We know how right. it's done. We can pass it on generation to generation to generation. Look at the nouveau riche owners. Look, yeah. at, look at guys like Jeffrey Lurie. Look at Daniel Snyder. You know, the, the, the Maras are regarded as a, you know, Jerry sort Jones. Of timeless sort of, you know, ownership. Jerry Jones is that I guess kind he made of thing. his own, but, but like the oil guys didn't make their own. They discovered, they, they bought land rights, you know? Yeah. Um, as that, we, as but, we, but, but hang on, hang on yeah, let, let me continue this. Yeah. I didn't even finish my thought. So 
and that's no knock on Jeffrey Lurie, but but the fact is, like the whole thing is fictitious to begin with. Like it's an invention. Like you're, you're they're striving for a prize that like is not like it doesn't add to GDP. It's a, they're not making anything. Like that's not. And if they fail, there's no risk of part. Of, and, and the biggest thing is there's no risk of failure, which right. is which is the refining fire of of normal business. You know, like there's no penalty for Jeffrey Lurie making stupid decisions and prioritizing things other than. Uh, you know this, you know supposedly tangible goal of winning a Super Bowl. Right. There's no, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no, there's no deterrent to him. You know, insisting on doing it his way and and being included in the process and not having Chip Kelly feel, you know, not feeling He's, like like it's his like like no no founding seat. Every every founder of a company eventually turns the thing over. Like look at uh, you know Google, Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, not Facebook, but but every every company the founder eventually brings in a business guy and says, right. all right. There you go. Right. Which I know it hurts me to hand it over to you, but but I know you're better at doing this than me. Right. You know. And and, and to to get back to your your question of incentives, even if fans were to stop going to games, Eagles fans were to stop going. Right. Which they did right before when Andy Reid got fired. Right. They were to stop going. Lurie would start to lose money. All he would have to do is say, "Oh, okay. Well, I'll go to St. Louis. I'll go to name a town that wants an NFL franchise, and, and I'll get taxpayers to pay for the stadium deal that I'll get." And just like they did in Philadelphia, and and now it's my, but, my end is is reached but, that way. Too. But now it's reached a point. Where the, I mean, the NFL has reached a point where the the ticket revenue doesn't even matter. Right. I mean, the ticket revenue is such a small slice of what these guys bring in. There's literally no risk of failure as an NFL owner, um, which is why these franchises, which is why the, the Rams paid, they can charge the Rams five hundred fifty million dollars just to move to, right. to Los Angeles because they are buying into a business that. Is it's essentially a, a government bond, you know, that guarantees them, you know, a revenue stream in perpetuity, you yep. know, and and that's when Jeffrey Lurie bought the Eagles, the NFL had not advanced to that point. He he just happened to buy a vanity pro. He just happened to he buy a vanity right time. Yeah. He buy a, bought a vanity project at the right time, and and now you know he's not a real businessman. That's what it comes down to. And and, and we you know we can put all these like abstract. You know, we can project all these abstract things on him, like, ah, oh, he's really committed to winning a Super Bowl. Like, what does that even mean? Like, right. you win a Super Bowl, That's and right. then, like, two years later, you're the Baltimore Ravens, sure. and you're, you know, mm-hmm. 0-15. You know, like, we want the Super Bowl, you know. You're the Rams. We want the Super Bowl, but Jeffrey Lurie essentially wants an interactive art project and <laughs> cocktail party yeah. conversation. Like, this is like a yeah. venue. That's why the whole Christmas party thing, I guarantee absolutely played into so sure. yeah yes. like that that yep. makes so much sense because that's Jeff this Lurie's jeffrey lurie bought the eagles to be you know to have it, fun it's yeah he, he bought the eagles because it's cooler than inviting your friends over for a cocktail party and going to the kimmel center you know it, you know he say, having the cocktail party say, is sweet at the link right it's yeah. having as cool as having it at the kimmel center when yeah. when people say Oh, honey, we're going to the lorries tonight for cocktails <laughs> the lorries is lincoln financial field and there's a football game that millions of people are watching and he gets to like be the big big boss. Like that's the thing is like he gets all the pleasure of being a CEO, all the power, the you know, we got our binders and we're gonna like call these you know, I talked to all these coaches who I'm friends with and like, you know, I all this information it was an exhausting process and like it was just funny to listen to him talk about like how it really works in the real world, like but in the NFL it's condensed down to two weeks and whoo oh boy. It's like <laughs> dude, like they're playing with it's like Monopoly. They're yeah. playing a game of Monopoly. Like there's no they, none of the decisions they're actually making have any real world ramifications because their revenue is going to be the same year after, after year. He just gets to like play, you know I'm sure part of it is he was bored and like he like wanted to play act again and like do a coaching search and get Jaws in there and go over like same thing with like Roseman and his college tape. You know it's like you get to feel like you're actually being a productive member of society when in reality you're in this little biodome that has been constructed out of the the public's, you know, love for football, and you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, and now you just get to like walk around and pretend you're the Monopoly guy with the top hat and you're right. king. David Murphy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, it's like it's it's just like it's it's hard to even like like everyone. That's why everyone's like, Larry's got to go. He's the problem. It's like, dude, honestly, where's he going? Honestly, he you know, the- do you know who's the problem? We're the problem because we're we're the ones that allow him to be in a position where he actually doesn't do anything with his life, and yet. He holds this huge amount of power over us. And on you know the note of us being the problem, 
Yeah. I think it's about time for us to stop being the problem for a few minutes. Yes. But within this hypothetical world, I would agree. Lurie needs to step aside. Say, but, but I guess what I'm saying is it's almost like contradictory. Like th- mm-hmm. he bought he bought the franchise. He didn't buy the franchise so he could give it off to a businessman and right. allow him to run things. No. Like he bought he, the franchise so, so he, he could like, have fun with it. Yeah. Like it's like fantasy camp. It's yeah. billionaire fantasy camp. And like that's why most of these organizations in the NFL are very poorly run. And the one and like the few that are very well run are always successful because it's like it's almost like half the time I think like Mark Zuckerberg's not a genius, but just like ninety percent of people are stupid and he just happens not to be one of them. Like that's how the NFL works. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like Kraft, the pack I mean, look at the Packers. Like it's like wisdom of the crowd. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're it's not like they're they're genius. Their ownership aren't geniuses. I guarantee that. They just like elect business people and yeah. allow them to run things. Yep. You know, and they're they're not concerned about themselves. They don't host people, you know, they ugh. I, I mean, it's the NFL is such a weird world and expecting Jeffrey Lurie to act as someone that he's never been is like act, acting too much. You just have to hope that he hires the right coach like he did with Andy Reid and that guy brings some stability to the organization and the right personnel guy. Yeah. So we'll see. Is that Doug Peterson? Is that Sam Bradford? Is it David Murphy? Well, that would Only be the shadow knows. In the plot, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Tune in next week I, I, to find out. I want to I see a transcription of like the last five minutes. And see if anything that I said makes sense. I'd probably read, I was like, was I probably like, read something like uh, Palin? Sarah, Sarah yeah. Palin's speech yesterday endorsing Donald Trump. Oh, I was going to say Howard Dean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. On that, on that we'll, note. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>